You are listening to Between Two Consultants, Logic 2020's original business and technology podcast. I'm Nick Kelly. And I'm Ethan Silvers. We're two consultants who talk to super smart people about the latest trends in technology and business. And today we're going to be talking about Six Sigma, and we're very lucky to have Elaine Coe with us to talk about it. Elaine, could you do a really brief introduction about yourself? Of course. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'm a consultant at Logic. I started my career in consulting. I spent some time at Medtronic in their global supply chain group. And then um, where I got into Six Sigma was at McKesson. They're a large pharmaceutical distribution company. And they are one of the early adopters of Six Sigma. They take it very seriously in their culture. It's, it's usually highlighted in all of our earnings reports. And when you get hired into Six Sigma, you have to get black belt certified and there's just a lot of rigor around it. So my first year in Six Sigma there, um, my projects had to deliver a million dollars in EBIT impact in that first year and it was measured. There's a whole system of tracking that. So basically it's, did I do what I said I was going to do and has that actually been demonstrated before I could get credit and then every year after that it was five million dollars in impact to the business so it, it was just a great experience um, I'm a, a very big fan of Six Sigma and it has definitely impacted the way that I approach problem solving in general. Elaine in your long illustrious career in which you've had many accomplishments now you're on between two consultants and I can only imagine how excited you are. Like that's almost like the cherry on top on a scale of one to seven with seven being the highest. How excited are you to be on between two consultants? I'm going to give it a 10. On a, on a one out of seven, you're a 10. Mm -hmm. That's, I don't understand that math, but it sounds like you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're I don't think anyone understands the still from zero to seven anyways. That's... And that's a good segue to a later part of this episode, but we'll we'll go in the order we're going. Um, Elaine, why is, uh, first actually, the history. Can you give us the history, just like real brief, history of Six Sigma? Yeah, so it was made pop, it was invented by an engineer in the 80s at Motorola. And I, I personally think Six Sigma is kind of a, intimidating term. Um, so I think engineers aren't necessarily known for their marketing abilities. I can say that because I am an engineer or I have been studying engineering. Um, and it was really made popular by Jack Walsh at GE in the 90s. And since then, it's really just kind of grown from there. So there's different levels of Six Sigma engagement, really depending on the corporation and how they want to adopt it into their, their business culture. Um, but, you know, like I said, McKesson was a, a very big proponent of Six Sigma and um, we certainly took a lot of principles that were refined by GE. And why is it called Six Sigma? It's a great question. So technically the Sigma is a statistical operator, which is standard deviation. And the idea is that if I can, um, so if I if I have a process and I'm within Six Sigma, I am 
99.999% sure that it's going to fall within a range. Um, and if you go back to your stats thing, it's the interval which is going to fall in between. Now, I think some of the pitfalls that people may experience is that, so for say, let's say for instance, I'm manufacturing tennis balls and the variation in my process is so terrible that I sometimes get a tennis ball, sometimes I get a basketball, and I still can say that that's within, you know, I'm 99% confident that I can get within within the either a tennis ball or a basketball, but that's not great, right? So just being, just having that level of, having that reporting um, to measure your process isn't good in itself. Like you need to have actual, you know, things that make sense from a practical sense. Like, obviously I can't have a manufacturing line that's gonna produce a tennis ball or a basketball at any given point, um, but I can be 99.99% confident that I'll get both of those, which doesn't really help me from a business standpoint. And I, I think, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, uh, sorry, not sorry to interrupt you. Um, I mean, out of a scale of, let's go with one to 13, how many standard deviations from the norm would you say Ethan is? <laughs> Moving on, <laughs> Nicholas. Elaine, when we talk about Six Sigma, let's talk about a couple things. Why is it valuable and what tools are employed? extremely valuable and that it provides structure. So a lot of times, you know you have a problem, but people don't spend the time to really think about what that problem is and, and go through the exercise. So like a tool is the five whys. So you have a problem. It's like, well, why do you have that problem? And you come up with something else. And it's like, well, why did that happen? And until you like keep uncovering those layers, you're not actually going to pinpoint what exactly you're trying to solve for. Um, so I think that's really important. I think having that rigor around measuring. So that was probably the most complicated part about being in a Six Sigma role is some things are just so hard to measure. It's like I created a dashboard report. Well, how do I measure the impact of that dashboard report? And there's there's different ways of doing it. So part of the diligence that came around projects is everyone had to sign off on, I think this is a reasonable way for you to measure the things that you've done. And I, I think that's really important. Um, I also believe that the, so DMAIC is a big part of it. Define, measure, analyze, improve, and control. And a lot of times people forget the control part. So I do all these things and it's great, but I didn't get people on board with it. So, you know, they're following a process for a month, maybe two months, but then five months down the line, you're back to where you started. So unless you have the right controls in place to make sure that you're adhering to the process that you set out to adhere to or achieving the results that you set out to, it can easily, your efforts can easily get lost or you may not be able to pick up on something that happened. So, um, you know, maybe something changed in the marketplace. So I did something I increased revenue. Revenue is stable, like it's it's what I thought it would be. And maybe all of a sudden I saw a dip and it's like, well, why did that happen? Um, and just having that kind of control measurement system in place, I think is very critical. Mm -hmm. 
You've asked about tools, so I mentioned the five whys, there's DMAIC. Um, I think project charters are great because it's a really good way of defining scope and making sure that you've included the right stakeholders, you've defined the problem accurately, um, you have very clear guardrails as far as timing goes. Um, process mapping is also a really good one. So, um, you know, really get understanding all the steps in the process and understanding who is involved when, especially if you're going to make a change, because then you are aware of every every piece of that puzzle that's getting impacted. That is very intriguing, um, and I'm thinking like about how I could. Well, I'll, I'll just ask the question, Elaine. I think that um, you'll be able to handle it. And this this hasn't been like rehearsed in advance. Is want to make that clear because <clears throat> we don't really rehearse things. Um, Elaine, do you have anything in like your daily life where you have or could use uh, Six Sigma? Yeah, so I actually, you know, since getting my black belt in Six Sigma, I'm kind of like my brain is just wired that way. So even on a personal level, when I think about problems that come up, I am very much focused on the demaic piece of it. Like, am I solving the real problem of, of, yeah. of what I'm experiencing? Um, so recently I was dealing with my kitchen. I live in San Francisco. I have a small apartment and I was getting frustrated because I didn't have enough shelf space. And on top of that, it wasn't just that, but like I could put, so if you see that picture, I could put all of the soap dispensers on the sink and I'm not really using that little ledge, but it would collect water and, and mildew. And so that was also my problem. So I figured out, okay, my problem is I don't have enough special space. And then even if it's shelf space I need, I don't need, it's, it's creating an uncleanly environment and it's making me unhappy. So um, I did some internet research, trying to figure out potential solutions. I came up with um, the rack that I put up there. And so that board, it, I can't drill into it. So it's actually like a sticky shelf that I have there. And then the dish mat, I used to have a dish rack like towards the wall by those by those plants. And now I have this silicone mat that rolls out and it covers up part of my sink so I can wash and dry my dishes and then it's right there covering the sink and so I'll put it away quickly because it's very top of mind. It's not like on the corner. <laughs> I, by the way, can I just I, not to interrupt, but Nick, you're just doing a phenomenal job <laughs> with the graphics on this. Super impressed. Um, so, you know, I defined my problem. Um, I put a measurement system in place. So I kind of do a, a regular check of, okay, how happy am I with the cleanliness in my kitchen? Is this working? Um, and so that's really, so the define, the measure. So I've decided measurement is my cleanliness score. Um, I analyzed it. So I analyzed the different things that I could do. So that was my internet shopping. Um, and then I implemented improvements. So I put in the shelf, I put in the dish rack, and then the control piece of it is I keep measuring it. So I keep checking in with myself. Am I happy with the cleanliness in my kitchen? Um, but so happens, Ethan, that as of recently, I was not happy with my kitchen. Mm -hmm. And what happened was that every time I decided to bake, my kitchen would be messy and it would stay messy the whole day. Mm -hmm. um, and so then going back to my Demaic, 
I, it gave me an opportunity to then analyze the situation. And I realized that baking was the issue. Um, I'm still in the process of this as far as figuring out how to solve it. But the big root cause of it is that I have a KitchenAid that's very heavy and it goes, the only place I can put it is on top of my fridge. Mm. So right now I'm in the analyze phase as far as how to fix that, whether it's never baking or uh, lifting weights mm -hmm. or getting a step stool or, which is much harder in COVID, convincing someone to come over and move my KitchenAid <laughs> on top of my fridge. No. Um, but what I think is important to highlight here too, which is also a pitfall, is that, so I could not bake and my cleanliness score would always be high. So that makes me think I need to revisit my measurement system, right? Mm -hmm. So now it's cleanliness and maybe it's flexibility in the kitchen. And so now I have a proper measurement tool. And I, I, I highlight that because I do think people fall into that trap. So if you're only measuring cost, for instance, or, um, you know, the quality of a product, that's great. But maybe the people, your workers are so unhappy. Maybe they're, maybe they're like the process is too manually intensive. They're working long hours. You have a lot of churn. So having that right measurement system can bring those things to light quicker and they're very important um and it could be overlooked if you're not including the right factors to look at uh so the next the next section we're going to talk about is like a section that's called hogwash poppycock okay okay it's, it's one of my favorite are you familiar with that term hogwash or poppycock no but i challenge you to say that 10 times in a row Okay, challenge accepted. Um, ten times in a row. <laughs> I see what you did there, Ethan. You see? So hogwash poppycock is basically things that aren't true. Um, and it's it's something, it's a term we popularized way back, like on the 75th episode or something. Um, and it's basically about misconceptions. And so what are the misconceptions, or as we call it, I, I'm surprised you don't know it with how many times you've watched um, our show. Surprising, <laughs> isn't it, Nick? Yeah, uh, maybe it's your your internet link. Maybe it's just like it, it skips over that part when you're mm -hmm. you just watching the show. So yeah, I'll check that out. So um, do you have any things that are uh, like when talking about Six Sigma, misconceptions, hogwash, poppycock? Hogwash, poppycock. Um, I think the biggest misconception is that it can't be used in a practical sense. So historically it has been done in manufacturing environments and, and even in McKesson, there was a heavy focus in the distribution center, but it can be applied to a lot of business problems and even personal problems as I shared with you. Um, so I think that's a, a big misconception. Um, additionally, just the rigidity of it. I mean, it, it is, it feels daunting, like Six Sigma, Black Belt, Green Belt, whatever. But it, it really is just like an approach and a way of thinking. And I don't think it should be held with such rigidity because um, I do think that it can impact innovation and creativity. So I think that there's um, just some mindfulness around that. And as you brought up, it's it's 
historically, when it was started, it was sub intended to be used for manufacturing. And now it's you know, clearly being used more on the business side. Are folks still running up against that, that Six Sigma is meant more for manufacturing and not as much for business? I think so. I think because Six Sigma itself, that term, is very focused on the manufacturing environment. So none of the stuff that I have really worked on in a business setting, we weren't actually measuring standard deviations and trying to like really control a process. Um, so I think that the, the term itself throws people off, but it's really a broader set of tools and it can be used in conjunction with other tools that are out there, which I, I, I think is the most effective. So an example is using Agile or Scrum methodology, design thinking principles, you know, all that stuff can be worked, um, used in concert to, to really be effective. Yep. In closing, my name's Ethan Silvers. I'm Nicholas Kelly. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Logic 2020's Between Two Consultants. If you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe so you can get each episode delivered directly to your favorite podcast app. To learn more, visit our website at logic2020.com. You can also find us, Nicholas Kelly and Ethan Silvers, on LinkedIn. So give us a follow. See you next time.